0: Welcome to Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn. My guest today is Nick Sokol, and it's safe to say he's a bona fide rock star.
1: I am a professional geologist, I'm a certified engineering geologist in California. I started my career in the underground here in New York City working on Second Avenue Subway. I had the privilege of logging the first rock core for the Second Avenue Subway design. That was boring 128-1. I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time in uh, New York's underground. You know, Second Avenue, Seven Line Extension, East Side Axis, all these major projects that are really transforming the the way we move around the city. So it's been kind of, it's been very special to be involved in those projects. The geology is very cool. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting terrain. There's actually quite a variety of mineralogy and rock types. And then being immersed in that, and when you're underground, it's quiet. I think very quiet spaces are interesting when you're, and you're so isolated from the busyness of New York. And then you go seventeen stories down and walk through these tunnels, and it's just a whole different perspective on on the city. And yet, then there are also these references to the city that you experience as well, with whether it's the the people, the sandhogs that you meet. You know, there's
0: what was that term again?
1: Sand, the sandhogs, the tunnel workers. Oh, and they are such a snapshot of New York City. You know the culture of New York with a lot of Irish folks working as sandhogs, hogs, a lot of um, Caribbean folks um, working as sand hogs and worlds colliding sort of underground, you know, and having, and I thought that i sometimes there were some pretty complex conversations I would overhear, but also just like, the city above, you know, um, folks working it out and having to figure out a way to collaborate and work together, even if they uh, weren't getting along so well. It's kind of interesting. And especially
0: uh, in a diff- such a different atmosphere, yeah. you know, like way underground in a mm-hmm. dark tunnel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nick is proud to carry the title of the Reliquaries resident geologist emeritus in recognition of his work in curating some of the more mineral-heavy items in the Reliquaries collection. But he's here today to talk about something that isn't a rock or a crystal, but rather a man-made item that he found on one of his many jobs digging and tunneling in, around, and under New York City. So what are we looking
1: at, Nick? It's one of the iconic artifacts in the reliquary, uh, one that we even made a postcard for, um, the very old shovel.
0: I'm looking at it right now and it's been around for a while and this one is definitely, as the nameplate says, very old shovel. I feel like they need three more berries in front of it. It's fairly rusty. How tall do you think that is?
1: Oh, okay. So I'm going to say it's about 18 inches-ish in in length or so, something like that. And then maybe about eight inches wide. It's color It's kind of brown, orange, and rusty. Cracked
0: in a lot of places. A little bit
1: cracked up. The handles, um, about there's about uh, 10 inches of the handle left. I imagine it was longer at some point. And curiously though, the the sort of the wood of the handle and, and the metal of the shovel seem to have kind of gotten encrusted in some kind of material that's keeping it together.
0: It all looks like one piece. I was it like, is that looks, whole, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's wood and, you know, a, a metal piece on the end. It all yeah, looks it's like interesting. one.
1: I don't know what's keeping it together, but it's keeping it together. This is one of the objects in the uh, reliquary that it actually was collected not in New York, this New York City five boroughs, but on the property of New York City, which is the water tunnel um, up in Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. It's a special piece to me because I encountered it during one of our projects when we were, we were doing a rehabilitation of the New Croton Aqueduct. And, and as, why were
0: you rehabilitating? Because, uh...
1: yeah, so um, it was all part of a program to improve the water quality for uh, New York City. New Croton Aqueduct, it provides about 20% of the city's water. So it's a brick-lined aqueduct. How do you deal with like this old, you know, 120-year-old infrastructure? How do you, how do you deal with inspecting it and uh, rehabilitating it? Yeah.
0: New York City is built on islands that are totally surrounded by water. There is the ocean and the brackish East River, lower Hudson River, and New York Harbor. Getting clean drinking water easily to its people has always been a struggle. In the early days, the city got its water from ponds and wells. But as the city grew, these tended to get contaminated without the proper systems of sewage and waste disposal. It's kind of amazing to think of what life was like in the 200 years between when the city was founded and when these first aqueducts were built.
1: It's hard, I mean, it's pretty hard to imagine what the city would have been like before we had a potable water
0: system. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> yeah. of
1: hard to contemplate.
0: Well, I mean, you know, there was like cholera outbreaks all yeah. the time. That was kind of the concern of trying to get this fresh water to feed this like ever-expanding city.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, you can read about Collect Pond. Mm-hmm. That was what it, That was the large um, pond down in um, lower Manhattan that everybody would just kind of put all their waste into. But... Boy, it was just harbored disease. And then there was sort of a, you know, a growing awareness and awakening um, about that. I guess around the same time that it was happening in, in London with the Thames and, and these freshwater systems that you rely on, you <laughs> then realize you're destroying them and that they're making you sick. So um yeah, as major motivating factor, once you kind of realize they're the source of seas to take care of them um, and to develop your city, I guess, in, in concert with them, to have a more of a symbiotic relationship with them. The
0: original Croton Aqueduct, a.k.a. the old Croton Aqueduct, was built in the 1830s and was one of the first projects to bring fresh water from the Hudson Valley down to the island of Manhattan, where it was sorely needed. Unfortunately, the original only functioned for a few decades because it quickly proved unfit for the purpose. It was too shallow, too close to the surface, and so it didn't protect the water flow the way it needed
1: to. It was near surface. uh, Tree roots and all sorts of things would would get into it. It was vulnerable to um, surface contamination getting into this water supply. So vulnerable to, you know, I, I imagine animals getting into it, stuff you don't want going into your drinking water. The other, a, a more interesting um, issue that the city was facing, they were worried about its vulnerability to bombardment from the Hudson River. Um, and Flooding. Bombardment.
0: Oh,
1: uh, projecting cannonballs and damaging it from the river from uh, enemies' ships on the Hudson. So that was kind of an interesting thing to read at some point. Uh, And they decided it was too vulnerable. It wasn't going to serve its purpose. They needed to replace it. So they built the new Croton Aqueduct in the, also, the the now into the late 1800s. I guess it was, what, the 1880s-ish. They started the work. And it was, it's about a 33-mile long... Uh water tunnel from Croton Reservoir. Uh, it, it ranges in depth because the topography above it um, undulates anywhere from shallow sections or maybe 20, 30 feet underground. Some of the deeper sections are hundreds, seven, 800 feet underground. Wow. <laughs> Most of it was uh, drill and blast excavation. So they were using sort of pretty primitive blasting techniques. The drilling was hard. A lot of immigrant labor was used, a lot of hand drilling. So somebody holding a drill bit against the rock and another person hitting and striking that drill bit and then hand twisting it to hit it and strike it again and continue that to drill your holes. So very slow and and laborious process to, to drill holes, fill them with explosives and blast the rock. Because those techniques were not particularly advanced by modern tunneling standards, you know, the ground was not uh, supported in the way we would support the ground now. And so you did have so, a lot of you know, rock blocks that fall out. You have large gaps above the tunnel that you know, ideally you'd fill with grout, but were, were left unfilled. So a lot of the rehabilitation and Work was to grout behind the liner, try to replace brickwork, and um, to repoint the brickwork in places where there was was you know, extensive cracking. Uh, just make sure that that liner would kind of bring it back up to a standard that it could be relied on for you know another many decades.
0: This. 33-mile underwater river still provides drinking water to millions of people in the city and amazingly still mostly uses technology that was ancient even when it was built 200 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was both the old Croton Aqueduct and the new Croton Aqueduct, their gravity flow, except for the new Croton where it goes through those siphons, meaning it drops down, then it comes back up um, to get under certain features, usually to keep it in a particular ground condition or to go under some, um, like a waterway. But otherwise it's gravity uh, flow.
0: What is gravity Uh, flow exactly
1: for our listeners out there? Just flowing downhill.
0: Oh, just as easy as it sounds.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so um, you have to maintain a little bit of a slope, but not that, not too much of a slope to get the flow to be efficient. You know, it twists and turns around, uh, you know, has to follow a continuous grade in order to keep it flowing all the way to Manhattan. That was all done with gravity flow. So you're just kind of following the topography. So
0: So let's go back to this shovel. Yes, sir. I know you said you don't know exactly when it's from, but what is the story in your mind uh, that you've made for it? What was whoever was using it? What kind of things were they facing compared to when you were down there doing the
1: your work well you know actually curiously so we weren't we weren't excavating a new tunnel we were rehabilitating an old tunnel and a lot of that work was very manual labor intensive i mean it's a cement plant a grout plant underground and cleaning them out moving the bags you know carrying the bags by hand because you're in a tight environment getting things done it's it's hard and uh the new cronoccus not large it's 12 foot um, diameter so it's not very big you don't have room for big equipment to help you out so it is it, that project was pretty hard uh, work just hard labor and at, at the shaft number 9 where they were digging out with shovels the dirt in putting it in bags and using a hoist and just pulling it up out of the bottom of the shaft because it filled with a lot of muck over the years just kind of filled with sediment coming down the tunnel. Uh, so that was part of the rehabilitation, was to get that muck out, and so then encountering this very old shovel. I mean, I guess for me, it sort of represents the, the hard work that many, many people, especially our immigrant communities, have um, put in just a lot of uh, sweat and a lot of effort that they've dedicated their lives to building this invisible infrastructure that people 100% rely on and every single day, and it makes their lives better, and I don't think it gets appreciated. And so the shovel kind of represents that to me. This is like somebody that was working hard, so hard that they broke the their shovel off, and it got left behind. And they behind.
0: just it like got, threw it, it tossed got, it got got to got the side. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, um, and so I think about, you know, I think a lot about those stories. I think about whether I had any relatives. That I don't think I had any relatives that did work, that Your family my, does have
0: a my, connection to the stone, my, you know. My,
1: most of my family's immigrated through New York City and spent time here in New York City. Some of my great-grandfather's sculptures are here in the, in the reliquary uh, around us. These are sculptures he made in Prospect Park at his apartment or at his studio, you know, in Prospect Park. Grandfather uh, painted bridges in New York, so he would climb up on the bridges and he was (laughs) one of the guys that would go up high because he wasn't afraid of heights. But, um, yeah, it was hard work.
0: To me, one of the beautiful things about this specific history is that continuous thread of hard work and knowledge. Anyone doing work underground in New York now is using information and techniques developed from people doing similar work years ago, also decades ago. And also centuries ago, and in many cases, refining and retooling their actual projects. There's a continuous chain of engineers, architects, tunnel diggers, and laborers going back dozen generations that have all worked together to bring water and electricity and heat and transportation to the people of New York.
1: You know, some of the old infrastructures actually wooden, you know, I think even now they'll do old excavations, archeo- I guess uh, I guess you call it archeological excavations at, at, at sites that haven't been touched and find, they'll find old wooden pipework uh, from that era uh, when New York City was learning how to provide water and sanitation services. This map actually right in the back of the cabinet here is the Ville map or the Veal map, depending on who you talk to. That is the first sort of proper map of Manhattan Island. And it shows all of the old tri- little streams and the topography um, prior to the city development over the island. And that's significant because it will it is certainly for Contemporary engineering um, and building and construction, it's important because we can reference that map um, when we are looking at new projects to identify if there's a historical stream channel where the bedrock surface might be dipping down, uh, for example, on and, and, it's, and it's pretty accurate. Uh, even now, just yesterday, I was in a design review for the Penn Station uh, expansion project, And they're using the veal map as a base map and then applying sort of contemporary data onto that to have kind of multiple levels of sort of confirmation of the ground condition. So it gets continued to use today. But 50 years later, they Mm -hmm. built that old Croton Aqueduct.
0: What do you think the next big uh, project in New York is going to be? You know, I know you don't live here anymore, but... Seeing the way the city is changing, what do you, or what do you wish people should be think, you know, focusing on right now?
1: I mean, there's a there's a, a few fairly significant transportation infrastructure projects in the works. The Penn Station expansion, uh, which will be an underground expansion of Penn Station and connect in with the Gateway tunnels, like new tunnels under the Hudson River, right? So that's a fairly significant infrastructure. Uh, like, it's no secret the current Amtrak tunnels under the Hudson are 120 years old, and parts are masonry lined. You know they're they're old and need to be replaced. There is then the the second phase of Second Avenue Subway. When we I mentioned the first borehole that where I, I did the rock core logging was B 128-1. You will. Surely you're like yeah, but Second Avenue Subway doesn't go up to 128th Street. But the the full vision for Second Avenue Subway is to go from Whitehall down by the ferry terminal, um, all the way up uh, to 125th Street, where it arcs uh, takes a left hand turn uh, to the west and connects with the four, five, six right at 125th and. Lexington. So there's um, a lot of the geotechnical information that has been gathered over the entirety of that alignment. They built phase one from 96th street down to uh, 63rd street with those uh, three stations and the sort of new um, expanded station at 63rd. So the next phase, phase two, will take it from 96th street up to 125th. And they are I think procuring the design uh, for that soon. So it's like in a conceptual design now, but kind of taking it to the next level for a design. I think it would be a design build contract to build that section. So pretty significant infrastructure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Those are huge, huge jobs. They take forever. And, and I don't think people always ways, yeah, understand the, why it takes so long.
1: They take, some of them take long. They don't always take long. Like, I mean, I think that there's also a lot of um, work in the, industry one of our objectives now I think is to collaborate between designers contractors and owners to have a more collaborative design development and collaborative delivery methods that um, allow for a faster construction of these and you know when there's a will there's a way if if, if we really need something we'll, we'll get it done quick
0: This has been Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn, New York, in partnership with Citizen Racecar. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce this show in collaboration with David Hoffman, who edits the stories. Post-production and original music by Jose Miguel Baez. Contributing producer, Jacob Ford. Production Manager Gabriella Montaquin Outreach Managers Sarah Shalantano and Condi Shantelon To learn more about the artifact in this episode check out undiscarded.org and be sure to follow at City Reliquary on Instagram for facts and pictures You can hear all about the museum's mission, exhibits and events at cityreliquary.org If you enjoyed this episode of Undiscarded, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and help spread the word. There are so many more stories to tell.